I'm going to start this out in the reverse. Let's stop burning some gas. Sit on your ass, because John is in, and it's time to listen. Boy, it'd be better if I could make that a complete Yeah, I was going to say, you, you need to rhyme. get that worked out a little bit. Make it rhyme a little better. Eminem, I am not. That's very true, John. Very true. And, and, and I'm here this week as well, folks. It's Derek on the other end of the microphone. So, you want to talk about cars? Ferrari, GTO, Bentley, CRX, and even down to your great-granddad's peerless. Welcome to No Driving Gloves, the car talk authority. Knowledge and controversy share the same seat. Enjoy the ride. Now your hosts, John and Derek. We're going to go back to old no driving gloves. Old no driving gloves, John. Is there a new no driving gloves? I, I... Enlighten us. There's not a new No Driving Gloves, but I created the name No Driving Gloves 15 plus years ago. The podcast has been here five and a half. You know, we went with the name partially because there was some SEO traction. But this all came about because of an article that I read on Facebook this morning and I sent to Derek. It made us a little opinionated. And the idea behind No Driving Gloves, my original tagline was a gloves-off gloves approach to the automobile hobby because I disagreed with what a lot of the press was saying and what was coming out. It didn't seem to encompass the automobile hobby as a whole. We were, well, 15 years ago, it was kind of before the explosion of social media, the explosion of podcasts. There wasn't a lot of personal opinions getting out there. And No Driving Gloves was going to be a blog. And it never became a blog and never happened. And it sat dormant until we launched this podcast. And we have been known to bitch and complain on some episodes about things and discuss how the hobby is bad and the hobby is good. But we always walk a little bit of a fine line. Today, we're going to probably go back to a little bit more of that true definition of no driving gloves and why the name was chosen and how it relates to what we think of the automobile hobby today, the good and the bad. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a bitchy episode, but I think it's going to be a very productive, it's a, what do I want to call it? Constructive criticism about the hobby. I believe that's the PC term for it. And that might be the last PC thing we do in this episode. It might be the last PC thing we do forever. But we can't get canceled. We're a podcast. Exactly. I was going to say, John, just be honest. We're going to cross the line today. We're probably going to continue to cross the line moving into the future. Because John sent me this article and got me fired up. After one of our recent episodes, one of our listeners reached out to me to say thank you for doing the episode we did, but also said in his comments to me, you were very diplomatic in your approach. And I've, I've heard that a lot in my life, that I'm very diplomatic. It's, it's good to be diplomatic sometimes. You reach a point that you got to cross the line and stop being diplomatic. And I think today is one of those days. If we uh, offend anyone, we're sorry. But remember, disagreements can lead to healthy conversations. How did I say it to you in the pre-show when we were going over the idea of this topic is I think the opinions of the leaders of the automotive hobby, which go to the guys that run the clubs, the big clubs locally, the national clubs, help keep a lot of people out of the hobby because people are told so often they're wrong. And I'll start this off with, it's something that I learned I'm guilty of. And it's why I don't do it anymore. A lot of times, the guys that run a car club, especially your smaller local car clubs, 
It's the most authority and power they'll ever gain in their life. So they treat it like they're a king. They don't listen to the club opinions because the club members are wrong. Otherwise, they would be president of their local club or or national club. Happens a lot of times, in my opinion, with national club. And the people on the board are selected kind of by that leadership. And they won't, wouldn't be on the board if that king didn't feel them necessary or know they're going to toe the line that he's preaching. And hence, people stay away from that club or they come to a meeting and they go, ah, okay. It's so unfortunate. I find some of the clubs, one of the best clubs I ever belonged to and well, technically still belong to, I just unfortunately can't make a lot of their events, is run by the wealthiest people in the community. Because none of them have an ego they need to feed. Their egos are fed by their, you know, seven and eight figure houses and their six and seven figure cars and their, you know, their five figure, six figure watches. Their egos are fed by plenty of things and they do the, the club because they want to. Unfortunately, even some of the big national clubs, while they appear, you know, they have money. And the cars that are there that are involved have money. These people aren't necessarily the CEOs of their company. They're just high-level mid-management. And they can afford these toys, and then somehow this is how they gain their power. And I think that's one of the biggest issues with the car hobby is the people that lead the car hobby are doing it for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that, John. Again, it goes to that leadership level that you're talking about. I don't think we're, you know, I'm trying to think how to how to phrase this and make it make sense, which is car clubs in general are great. Okay. They're fantastic, whether it's a generic car club, you know, where everybody's welcome, or if it's brand specific and, you know, you've got, uh, you know, the Willis Overland Night Registry. Okay. That's one that I belong to. And they focus on Willis Overlands, you know, Willis Knights, Stearns, anything with a night engine. And, and those are great. There's also Model T specific clubs, all of these things. And a lot of them are really fantastic clubs. But I also know some of the clubs that I have friends that are involved in that may be brand specific or model specific, things like that. And I've literally had friends talk to me and I'm like, well, Hey, I noticed that you, you know, weren't going to the club meeting or you weren't doing this. That. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like, uh, I don't like the, the way it's gone and, and the you know president, vice president, I'm, I'm just done with the club. And that's when things go wrong because it's like you said, John, the, for some reason there are these clubs out there and it's not everyone. It's not every club, right? They get people in into leadership roles and they don't think about the club as a whole, but rather they they only want to think about their interests and like you said John, their ego of look what I can do. And that is what pushes the people away and if if we want the car hobby to survive it's got to stop it's just got to stop we got to accept people we have to listen to divergent ideas thoughts and have a consensus and understand that we're all in this for the same reason which is the passion and love for vehicles and we have to realize that not everybody comes in with the same passion. The guy running the club has a passion, an absolute love for whatever club it be, whether it be an Italian car club, whether it be a Lancia club, whether it be a BMW club, a Volvo club, doesn't matter. They have an unbridled passion that drove them to this, it, made them feel like they should lead this club. But what about the guy who's coming in 
I have clubs in mind, and I'm trying not to be specific because I don't want to necessarily tear those clubs apart. Let's just make up one. The Toyota Corolla Club. There probably is one. I'm sorry. But the guy that runs that is passionate, passionate about a Toyota Corolla. Loves that Toyota Corolla. You know, there is no other vehicle on the planet other than that Toyota Corolla. To heck with all the Nissan Sentras. But what about the guy that is driving a Nissan Sentra that goes, hey, I'm kind of liking these Corollas. I'm going to come to a meeting. So he shows up at a meeting in his Nissan Sentra. And, you know, they have their dinner and their meeting and they talk about, you know, the cool things going on in the Toyota world and the Corolla's doing this, the Corolla's doing that. And then they leave and they go congregate in the parking lot, which a lot of times they, you know, sometimes you do after, you know, a small club meeting. And then they notice this guy's driving a Sentra. Well, why the heck are you driving a Sentra? You know, blah, 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 blah. Now, all of a sudden, they're insulting this guy's car. And do you want to be into a group that all immediately just attacks you because of something? No, you're there to maybe learn about Corollas to know what Corolla to buy. You're there to expand your knowledge, to maybe, you know, just see how these people are. You know, are they the arrogant Corolla people that you always hear about that, you know, oh, what a feeling and there's no other feeling better than Toyota? Or are they somebody that's going to help me maintain my car, somebody that I want to work with, somebody that I want to have lunch or dinner with every month? More often than not, these groups alienate somebody the moment they join or they attempt to join or they show up because you don't already fit into their group. Hey, sometimes you got to turn that puzzle pieces piece four or five different directions before it slots in. And that's exactly what we have to learn to do with cars and people exploring and it could just be somebody who wants to, oh, I, I'm excited about cars. I want to you know, want to get involved. I need to get a collector car. So they bounce a couple of club meetings. They're going to go to the group that accepts them the most. This, I, this is what we said a few episodes ago. I find some of the older clubs, the ones that deal with what we traditionally think of as classics, pre, pre-war cars, teens cars, brass era, 50s era cars, they're so rigid in what they want, they don't allow you to come in and discuss anything else. That this is the way it is, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and oh no, you updated your radio to something with Apple CarPlay, you got to be out of this club, you modified and you destroyed this originality. Accept it. You have to let these people in. And yeah, they've got Apple CarPlay in their 57 Chevy or you have to get them. You have to bring them in. You have to get them in your group before you can kind of feed them your voodoo Kool-Aid to teach them why it was a bad idea to do this. You can't just immediately say what you did is wrong and it's bad. Shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you. Go away. I just cannot understand the non-acceptance. That is a great example, John, because that drives me nuts. The other thing that drives me crazy about clubs that are out there, I'm and I'm not going to mention specific ones, but I'll mention good clubs. And, and because I'm involved with the Willis Overlandite Registry, I can use them as an example. We all know any owner of a Willis Overlandite product knows the good cars and the cars that weren't that great that Willis Overland made, okay? We know that there are certain years and engineering of the engines and mechanicals that they weren't great cars, okay? They're okay, but they're not great. But when somebody shows up to an event with one of those cars, nobody goes over and is like, (laughs) <laughs> you got one of the crappy Willis Overlands. Yeah, you, you got one that that breaks down. Uh, you, why'd you buy that? That's a piece of junk. No, the club gets behind those people, especially if they're new, and they help them learn about their cars. 
and they accept them into the club. They make them feel welcome. And if they have a problem, we are there to help them understand what the problem is and how it can be fixed. Okay. Because that's how you keep the passion alive. That's how you keep these cars alive and make sure they still run and function and people can enjoy them. And it's the same, like using your example of a Toyota Corolla club. If there is such a thing, if there is great, thank you. We hope you guys are having a great time out there. It would be a problem again. Yeah. Somebody shows up in a Sentra and they get, you know, all kinds of hell because why would you do that? Well, because I like cars. You're talking about the leader of the Corolla club and he's so passionate about Corolla and this, that, but what generation of Corolla? What if he doesn't like the earliest generation of Corolla and somebody shows up in one and he's like, you drove the, you drove that piece of crap Corolla. He's like, get a, get a new one. That person's going to leave even though they have a Corolla. Right. I mean, that's that's the other thing I see that drives me nuts is the the clubs, if they're if they're brand specific or model specific or something that the leaders or or the the club as a majority membership all know that or or they think that one generation of that vehicle is terrible. And so they make fun of the people that have them. Well, those people are leaving. They're going to go found their own first generation Toyota Corolla club, right? They're not going to stick around with the, the, you know, national level Corolla club. And, and again, it goes back to that thing, John, about acceptance. This is a passion that we all have. We may not be passionate about the same thing, but it's still the car hobby and we have to welcome each other into it. You're taking my Toyota Corolla Club example and the guy that shows up in the center. Let's put it in something that is more like, relatable, and we know that happens. The guy shows up at the Mustang Club meet in his Camaro, and the Mustang diehards are, why Why did? You, why are you here with the Camaro? That's the worst car ever made, blah, 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 blah. And the guy with the Camaro goes, no, this is – this car – is great. This car helped develop the Mustang. This car made sure this continued. And the Cam the Camaro guy just gets, oh no, 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 no. There's 67 Mustangs better. It's got a little bit more room. It's got the fold-down back seats. It's a hatchback. It, it it's, you know, Carol Shelby was involved to heck with Don Yanko and so on and so on. But Don Yanko wouldn't have existed without Carroll Shelby. The Camaro wouldn't have existed without the Mustang, and the Mustang wouldn't have continued without the Camaro. You've got to have this competition, and you've got to... You don't think Ford just sits there in its ivory tower and goes, hmm, we're going to build this car, and we're going to build this car, and we're going to make it better, and we're going to make it better. And No, they're going to build the same damn car for years and years and years because it's cheaper unless somebody comes along and gets them off their ass and makes them innovate and create and make something move farther. You've got to look at, just because you're in the Mustang Club, you've got to look at GTOs. You've got to look at Camaros. Yeah, your Mustang's the greatest car in the world. You've got it in your garage. You've owned it since you were 16 years old, and now you're 50. You've never sold that car. You never will sell that car. Yay! But you've got to look at the other cars to know why, you know, to make your argument why your car is superior. Your car is not superior because it's a Mustang. Your car is superior because of X, Y, and Z factors that may have been brought along. Because the Camaro did this, the Mustang got this. And go back to just where I started this rant. Yanko Camaros would never have existed without Carroll Shelby and the Mustang. And that, that's your pony car. But Carroll Shelby would have never existed without a British car being, you know, he got to start with Aston Martin. Uh, uh, nope. More, more unpopular opinion. Carroll Shelby would not have existed without Corvette. Because the thing people forget is that Carroll Shelby's first attempt at making a American supercar was with Corvette. A Corvette, three of them called the Scalietti Corvettes where he took a Corvette driveline 
had Scaliati build a body as the hybrid American European sports supercar. And you know what Chevrolet said to him? Thanks, but no thanks, Carol. So you know what he did? He went over to Ford and he got Ford's big V8 and he went to AC and he said, I think I can shove this V8 in your AC and make one hell of a car. And guess what? He did. And that's why Carol Shelby became who he is or who he was. Right. I drove one of those Corvettes. Damn you. (laughs) I never got to drive one. (laughs) I love the Scalietti Corvettes. They are fantastic cars and i want to drive one (laughs) so if any of our listeners own one of those well the two in private hands the third is in the peterson i'm 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 still open to it uh but it is john it's it's the automotive industry has been impacted by competition more than anything and like i said i get the brand specific clubs i get that you guys love and are passionate about one specific brand of vehicle but open up your world a little bit and learn the history of your vehicles. That's something that also just drives me nuts. And, and I get that you're passionate about the engine and the power and, and the, the specs of the car. And, but learn a little bit of the history of your cars too. And, you know, not only the history of the company that built them and, and why the car came about for, for the love of God, a Mustang is a souped up Ford Falcon guys. That's all it is. And it became one of the most legendary automobiles. There are take some time, learn some history about it, diversify your knowledge of the automobile industry and why it is what it is and what makes it cool. And more than that, learn the history of your car itself. I am so passionate about that. The cars that I own, I know the history of most of them pretty well. I mean, my Peerless that I, I pulled out of a barn. Yeah, I, I looked at the car. I, I studied the car itself and the history of, I knew kind of knew the history of Peerless being that I was the curator of transportation in Cleveland at the time. But I didn't just buy the car, pull it out of the barn, put it in a trailer, shake the guy's hand and say, gee, thanks. No, I said, what can you tell me about the car? How did your dad get the car? Is there a story? Sure enough, there was a massive story about it. Just take some time because the more you know about the car, the more you know about the company that built it, the more you know about overall history, the more accepting we are to everything that happens in the automotive hobby, in my opinion, right? I mean, if you want to be closed-minded and only learn certain things, go ahead. But just to me, diversify your knowledge. Facebook article or the Facebook post that inspired this. And I'm not going to get into the club. The the listeners that know, know. And it was basically stating that there is no respect for the older cars. People are just destroying older cars by modification or scrapping. And their idea of scrapping was a demolition derby was held and somebody entered a car that had been forgotten about, that was sitting rusting in the woods. Just take my my 62 Chrysler, for example. It's just sitting there doing nothing. Take that car, put a thousand bucks into it, and enter it in a demolition derby. A 62 Chrysler is going to beat win most demolition derbies now just because of what it is and what it's going to go against. But the argument there is, well, it destroyed this piece, and it destroyed this piece, and this piece was original, and this was good. Well, guess what? My 62 Chrysler sitting there just withering away. This car was sitting there withering away. You want to save those parts for your restoration? Find the guy that owns it. Find the cars. Strip the good parts. Scrap the old parts and the bad stuff that can't really be saved, be used as patterns. And do something about it. Don't sit on Facebook and whine that somebody went out, got this car running, made people aware of this car, and then damaged the three or four good parts that were left to it because it was in a demolition derby. You had just as much opportunity to go buy that car as the guy that bought it and entered it in the demolition derby. 
it's one of my things, and we talked about it on a very early episode of No Driving Gloves with Will. I don't care that Will cuts up cars. Uh, you know, he tells a great story about a Lincoln Zephyr that he modified, and it just, auto, you know, about, about gave the guy that was, you know, president of the Lincoln Club a heart attack that this guy standing in McPherson College, you know, the mecca of auto restoration, and supposedly, you know, these students are, you know, going to save every car in the world. And Will's telling, oh, no, last summer, at you know, the shop I was at, we cut up a Lincoln Zephyr. I don't have a problem with Will doing that. If it's the last Lincoln Zephyr in the world, maybe I do. But there's other ones. And we all have just as much opportunity to go out and purchase those and go, well, I don't have the money. Well, that's where your clubs do get involved or that's where your friends get involved. If you would educate, you know, maybe if Will would have been, in, you know, welcomed into the Zephyr Club. God only knows if you ever tried before that. <laughs> And he would have had a oh, love for the car. And you guys would have taught him why this car should not be destroyed. Maybe he wouldn't do that. But Derek and I talked about, talk about accepting. And I'm going to use Will as an example here. I, know I went to McPherson College. Will was there at the same time as I. I was into hot rod Hondas, 17-inch wheels on my CRX and motor swaps in my CRX. Will at McPherson College. Can't remember which order it went. One year he had an airbagged Impala. The next year he had an airbagged Chevrolet Blazers, uh, C10 Blazer, or vice versa. And somebody else there's driving a Falcon, and somebody else there's driving a lowered Dakota, and somebody else there's got his Model A, and somebody else there's, you know, into historic tractors who was actually still a professor there. <laughs> and there's a whole divergence of people and car interests. And guess what? We all came together. As much as I insult the faculty that we had at the time, it was very embracing of the cars that we loved and that we wanted. And they understood that we all had a passion. We all didn't come from the same Elk. I mean, McPherson College was originally started by a gentleman named Smokey Blue. And Smokey's idea was to endow the college with enough money and to use the college and the students to teach them how to produce a car. He wanted, ironically, we're recording this on November 26th, the day the Model A was introduced, but Smokey Blue wanted to restart production of the Model A. He wanted to build exact replicas of the Model A. And that was the original idea behind the McPherson College Restoration Program. And the college was smart enough to say, nah, well, that's not going to work. But how about we use your money to kind of do this and save some Model A's? And that's how the program came about. But over the years, there's all kinds of people. I remember Woody Ritchie was a great guy in there. But he passionate, passionate about Rolls Royces. It's not all about the one one car, but Woody embraced everything. When he'd come to the Cars Car Show, which is their big event in May, you know, he, he respected everything on the field. We respected everything on the field. When you go, if you go to the Cars Car Show, the Cars is the College Automotive Restoration Students Car Show. It's a mix of everything under the stars now you know 300 sls and i can't remember the car 1916 they called it the green dragon and it ran the you know the great race multiple times to you know 50s cars 60s cars the latest things it's just when uh you're talking about the haggerty's peerless that runs the great race yeah. yes that yep yeah they've had it out there yeah, well, at the time I was there, it was privately owned, and he he ended up passing it on to Haggard. It's just that that was what I saw the car hobby as, and it was a great introduction. But I guarantee you, I would have never went to McPherson if they produced Model A's because it would be too focused. Uh, and that's something, going back to what I said at the beginning, something about no driving gloves. We want to embrace and we want to talk about everything automotive. If you're not into everything automotive, this isn't the podcast for you. We don't do car reviews. We don't 
you know, tell you this is the greatest new car in the world. We talk about some of the features of the new cars. We talk about the old cars. We talk about the automotive hobby. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about everything and embracing everything. And it just drives Derek and I nuts when so many people are so rigid and we see the hobby dying around us and everybody's so close-minded to not see that that closed-mindedness is why the hobby is dying. It's not because the kids aren't interested. The kids are interested. If they weren't interested, Gran Turismo wouldn't be one of the best-selling video games in all time. It's not because they want to pick up hookers. It's because they want to build cool, kick-ass cars. We wouldn't remember Paul Walker and the Fast and the Furious franchise as ridiculous as it is to put a Fiero in space. People watch that for the cars. And I think the family camaraderie that's exuded by that movie is what we're missing in the car hobby. It's a passion for everything. I mean, Don Toretto in that movie drives his Charger. But what does he do? He hangs out with Paul Walker, who drives a Mitsubishi Eclipse or whoever the guy was with his Volkswagen Rabbit or Han, who had his... Kick, kick ass RX-7. And Han in real life, whatever, I can't remember the actor's name, is so passionate about minivans. His absolute favorite car is a minivan. There's nothing wrong with any of this stuff. I'm sorry to just drone on here, but it drives me freaking batty to see the closed-mindedness of this hobby. I'll be quiet now, Derek. Well, there's so many things to touch on on what you said, John, because number one, minivans, badass. If anybody out there is saying, oh, God, why are they talking about minivans? Go learn the history of the minivan. Okay, go learn about it because it's extremely important in the history of the automobile. And the idea has been around a lot longer than you think. I'll throw this out. Just go look up the stout scarab. Okay. That's, that's going to be that, that little bit there. Also, I restored one of those too. <laughs> but also, uh, yes. Number one, Fiero in space. Everybody knows we only put Teslas into space. Come on guys. Uh, it goes back to acceptance and let's, let's think about this because if, if we're going to sit here today and not accept Different groups are not going to accept other groups. We have a huge, huge problem, like you said, John, and it's why the automotive hobby will eventually die. I hope it doesn't. I hope everyone can start being you know more accepting. But what let me let me just pose this to our listeners. What would have happened to car culture and the automotive hobby had we had only a closed-minded view. And after World War II, the folks coming back, the, the, the young men coming back from war who made it back, number one, they were lucky to be alive. They didn't have a lot of money and they needed vehicles. So they went out to local junkyards and they found the old cars that hadn't been scrapped for the war they brought them back home and they took the knowledge they learned during their time in the military on how to work on things and how to keep machines running while they were in the midst of a heated battle. And they made hot rods because it's what they could afford to do. And it's what they knew they could do. What if we didn't accept all those guys? What if, what if the world would have been like, what are you doing? Stop doing that. We're not going to allow that. Think about the ramifications of that. If we would have just stopped that one thing, I guess this is what you call the butterfly effect, right? This one thing, had we not allowed anyone to do this, right? We would have had laws immediately put in place, like some of the laws they're talking about now, where you can't modify a car. You cannot do this. Do not do it. We're going we're gonna to take them away from you. Okay, we would not have the SCCA. We would not have the National Hot Rod Association. We would not have the Bonneville Salt Flats land speed racing anymore. 
because we would have stopped all of that. You would not have SEMA protecting your rights to do what you want. We would not have SEMA. Exactly. And let me tell you, SEMA, I don't care what you guys think about SEMA. SEMA is the only group I have seen in recent years stand up and write letters to the United States Congress about what some of the laws they're trying to put in would do to the automotive hobby. I don't I don't see other clubs coming out and sending out mass emails to people in the car hobby saying we need to you to sign on to this letter to help protect what we're doing. Okay? Think about that. Had we stopped one group of guys from doing something in the 1940s and 50s, how would that have impacted even the cars that are restored today? Okay? Also, would we have had people in this world come up and and do what they did. Think about Ed Iskadarian. Okay. Would he have been around? Would Vic Edelbrock have been around? Would he have been accepted? Would he have done what he did? I mean, how many guys, even in the restored car world, accept that they're going to change from a factory carburetor and we're going to allow you to put an Edelbrock on because it, it, it really does run a little better. It's a little more fuel efficient. I mean, just think about this. You you would have people, you know, SoCal Speed Shop. SoCal Speed Shop wouldn't exist. Just sit back and honestly think about had we not accepted and made room for these you know, groups and these people in automotive history. Automotive history would suck. It would be boring. You, you brought up. SoCal Speed Shop, Edelbrock. You know, these are all about modifying cars. But without these companies and without those soldiers coming home and taking these cars and modifying them, would Snyder's exist? You know, the Model T, Model A parts supplier. Would a lot of these, uh, what do I want to say, restoration specialties, would they exist? These companies exist so that you have parts to still put on your cars. We wouldn't be repopping Model A bodies. We wouldn't be making replacement parts so that you could restore this stuff. The best example of this is the reason there are so there are, there were so few 60s Mopars restored 15 years ago. There wasn't parts availability. There was everything you want for Mustangs and Camaros, but the guys that were Mopar guys, it costs a fortune to restore a Mopar 15, 20 years ago because they weren't making any parts. They weren't making fenders and hoods and all of this. Now, now 2023, all that stuff's available. But those parts companies exist because, like Derek said, these soldiers came back and all they had was enough money to buy something beat up that they wanted to personalize and make them make it their own. You know, they did come back from a war where everybody looked the same, everybody dressed the same. They wanted some individuality. And then they had the discipline and knowledge to focus and build this creation. Derek's right. The car hobby would be nothing without World War II. I always will argue that war advances everything. In this case, the war helped advance the hobby that we're sitting here, I'm going to say, 80 years later, discussing. And this hobby wouldn't have existed if the soldiers would have just come home and said, oh, those cute little British MGTCs and that, they, they, they can stay there and we'll just go ahead and get into our 53 Fords uh, square bodies and we'll drive it and then when the 55s come out we'll buy the 55s if you're not listening to it happened on this day the little shorts we've been putting out every day for the last month or so you really need to because we discussed harley earl last uh, you know within the last few weeks and without him would we have design and if somebody didn't see that or if he didn't see that would cars be boring? Would everything still look like, you know, Model A's and Model T's? Model A, the sexiest car ever made in 1928, 29. It's just a hobby that 
if you look at what has kept this hobby going and what has catapulted this to the next generation to the next generation is innovation and open-minded thinking. It isn't, this was the best car ever made and there's nothing beyond it. You know, again, like I said, we're recording this on the 26th and I just did the episode on the Model A. Henry Ford did not want to make a Model A. The Model T was the best car ever made. Nothing would be better than the Model T in Henry Ford's eyes. And it took the passion and the fighting of Etzel Ford, his son, to get that Model A made. Ford Motor Company would not exist without the Model A. It would have just been forgotten. It's the closed-mindedness. Ford had the best thing in the world and nothing was going to get better and he couldn't see beyond that. And it took somebody coming in and arguing and fighting and infighting and family turmoil is horrible. But, you know, Etzel Ford probably put his, what do you want to call it, sonhood or fatherhood, you know, on the line fighting for the Model A. And that's one of the perfect examples of a closed-minded person in the automobile industry slash hobby, not seeing what was happening around him. And unfortunately, so many, so many organizations don't see what's happening around them. And then they say, there's nobody getting into the hobby. No, there's nobody getting into your closed-minded world. Like I said in my last tirade, I'm just so freaking passionate about this and I want to see this hobby go on. I don't have kids. Derek has kids, but and I'm sure Derek wants his kids to get into this hobby. I want other generations to get into this hobby. I want somebody else to ha- be sitting here in 50 years with the same passion, but not having to bitch about it's closed-minded. It's we're all embracing. I would love to see a car club that is about cars, not about make, model, model year, style. If it's a car, it's a car. That's an interesting take, John. I hadn't even thought about that in that aspect. I don't know. And and please, listeners, if you know about this, let me know. But I don't know that there is any national club i mean most some of your local car clubs don't have any kind of qualifications right you can just you can just come to the car cruise whatever in in what you own but i don't know and and unless john maybe you know of one i don't think there's a a national level club that's all-encompassing of vehicles and and that's a problem because one of the cool things we always talk about in automotive history is you know, early on, there was a battle between steam, gas, and electric, right? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, when, back when steam and gas and electric were fighting it out. And uh, hopefully everybody that listens to this show knows that from the 1890s until about 1904, three to four, roughly, the highest selling vehicle in the United States, powertrain-wise, was electric, Okay, it wasn't gas and it wasn't steam. It was electric vehicles. They were king of the road in the 1890s and the early 1900s. Okay, but we are seeing that again today. We're seeing a battle between internal combustion, electric and hybrid and other various types of power sourced vehicles. We as a car enthusiast, as an automotive hobby as whatever we want to call this should be so excited to be alive today because we are witnessing what we always talk about the battle of power source and i don't care what camp you're in here i don't care if you're oh you're you know the internal combustion gas powered engine is all we can ever have or you know uh, we need to go electric because it's better for the environment whatever camp you're in i don't care i don't want to get into the politics of it whatever camp you're in we should all be excited because we are seeing a moment in time that is going to be historic it is going to be looked back on as the decisions that are made right now 
are impacting the world. They are changing the course of the future. And in 100 years, 120 years, where we are right now, away from the turn of the eight, you know, 1800s to the 1900s that we still talk about, we're in that. And as enthusiasts and clubs, this is a perfect time to embrace this idea and talk about not only the, you know, electric car through time and hybrid vehicles through time, because guess what, guys, there have been hybrids for a long time. This is prime opportunity to bring everyone together, enjoy the hobby, look back at what has happened and think about where we're headed in the future. I would I would love to see a modern car club where you had on on a Saturday morning at the local, you know, car club, cars and coffee, you know, a Tesla, a bunch of Teslas showed up and, uh, you know, a bunch of just general, you know, internal combustion engines show up. Was it the Nissan? Nissan had an actually somewhat successful hydrogen cell vehicle. Was it the Leaf? Which one was it, John? Do you remember? I don't remember on that. I thought Toyota did something. The Leaf's always been an electric car. Leaf's electric. Derek, I'm really not sure what car was Nissan. I'm thinking, you know, I know Toyota's got a new one coming out. I think actually the new Toyota's been in kind of production since 2015 overseas. And I think we had the Honda Clarity, but, you know, Either way, it re- really doesn't matter. Hydrogen is knocking on the door and goes back to our previous episode on alternative. Right. But I, I, I what I'm saying, John, and I, I, forgive me for getting a little off track there. I would find it interesting. And I'm not trying to be closed minded here and be like, oh, well, this is what I want to see. If we were truly open and you know, showing that the car enthusiasm and hobby can be a great, great place to hang out. Can you imagine, like I was saying, a cars and coffee type event where all of these type of vehicles show up, you have hydrogen cell vehicles, you have modern electric, you have internal combustion, but then in rolls a 1925 Detroit electric and a model T and I don't know, an Owen magnetic, uh, an early type of hybrid vehicle. Uh, but then all of a sudden somebody shows up in you know their 1970s city car you know, the, the electric city car or commuter car depending on what area you know, what which they show up in one of their little wedge you know commuter cars and you know somebody shows up in a stanley steamer i mean just how cool would it be to see all of these technologies all of these designs of vehicles in one place where Everyone that was there was just accepting of it all and thought it was just so freaking cool to see all of this in one place. I mean, I could get on a soapbox here and say, go to the right automotive museum in this country and and you're going to get a good chance of seeing this. But that's in a museum setting. That's not what we're talking about. This is about the hobby and the people who own these vehicles and have a passion about them. Okay. And, and I don't care if, you know, okay, let's take the internal combustion folks that are in this world. I get it. I love old cars with gas engines. Okay. I, I love electric vehicles too. I love all of it. If somebody that is out there buying a hydrogen fuel cell car, they might be doing it because they want to uh, you know lower their emissions uh, that they're putting into the environment uh, you know lower lower their carbon footprint whatever you want to talk about we we are not going to get into the politics of that and well you know what it took to build the car i don't care that's not being accepting they might be doing it for those reasons that's still passion that still means that they want to own a car but they want it to be a more friendly option because that's what they believe in, except that that's what they believe in and that they still want to own a car and they still want to drive because there's a lot of that 
the exact opposite of that happening where there are people that don't want cars. I mean, the idea that we can build a car and have cars that exist for a lot of different people and a lot of different passions, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You talked about that car show that's going to have Stanley steamers and is going to have electric cars and is going to have hydrogen cars and is going to have internal combustion engine cars and is going to have pedal cars and anything. That occasionally happens, I know. At, um used to happen at Bill's, as they called it, in Malibu, Bill's Kitchen in Malibu. They would have a small little get-together. Bill's Kitchen closed a few months ago, and he's reopening elsewhere. Uh, they would have a get-together, and they were run off by the shopping center. But you would get these people there that would drive their latest and greatest Porsche GT3s. We could drive their... You name the cool car, it was there. The Lamborghini guys, the Ferrari guys. And of course, then, the guy we're talking about, the guy we wish every car enthusiast was, and everybody loves this guy, but for some reason, they don't understand. Leno would show up, and he would have his McLaren F1. He would have his Senna. He would have his Stanley Steamer. He would have his um, Baker Electric. He would show up on all kinds of vehicles, and he would be able to bring this. Leno is the epitome of a car guy. I don't care what, what kind of car guy you are. Leno is the car guy. He has everything. He's passionate about everything, and he knows everything about everything he has. While we're not saying you need to be Jay Leno, and I'm not talking about the money or, you know, having 18 hanger, hangers in Malibu, or I'm saying you need to think like Jay Leno, that it doesn't matter what it is. It's a car. If it's got two wheels, four wheels, six wheels, eight wheels, 18 wheels, this piece of transportation, it's all about this hobby. And as we said, when I was talking the comparison Ford to Mustang or whatever, and Derek brought it up, the guy who shows up at your local cars and coffee in his Tesla, or I've got a friend who just, I've got two friends, and I've actually got an interview with one that I did back in June I should publish. He's not a car guy, but he bought one of the new Kia Iconic 5. He's passionate about that electric vehicle. And yes, he bought it because of the tax rebates and his Jeep was worn out. So, I mean, he the only reason he bought electric was because of the incentives. But he was passionate enough to sit down with me for an hour and talk about his car. And he's not a car guy. Wait, stop, because you just hit something. You hit something so freaking important, which is there are people out there that are not car people. But guess what? Like you just said, your friend bought an electric vehicle because it was interesting to him. It was there was some incentives. It's something that he is now passionate about. You just created a person who is interested in cars. The new technologies that are coming out are also what could impact and make people car people. Just like if we went back and talk about the muscle car era, there were probably people that weren't really interested in cars. And then all of a sudden the Pontiac GTO came out and somebody went, huh, well, that car is kind of cool. Maybe I'll go buy one. And then all of a sudden they were like, whoa, this is this is friggin sweet. Like, what, what, why haven't I thought about cars? And you've built a passionate car enthusiast that now gets involved. That's the other thing we have to think about. Don't knock the new technology coming out because it could build a whole new generation of car enthusiasts. Well, I'm going to kind of wrap that up a little bit in the other friend I was talking about. He sold exotic cars in major metropolitan cities. He started out selling Fiats and Maserati Alfa Romeos locally. He's had all kinds of cars from Alfa Romeo GTV6s to whatever. He just bought a Prius. 
loves it. But he he's a car guy. And he's got the new Prius that's so controversial in its looks. And actually, I think it's a pretty good looking car. He should be welcome to come to a Cars and Coffee. He probably is because people know him and know what he does and what his passion is because he's built a resume as a car guy. But what about the person who just shows up in their Prius? No, they get laughed out because they're a Prius. It's not a Tesla. It's not a, well, we'll just go with Rivian. You know, it's not one of these cool ones to own. It's a Prius. No, Priuses are cool. I mean, they, they're people that are more passionate about their Prius than you are about whatever car you're sitting there and you've got in your garage you put 10,000 hours of work into. There are people that are more passionate about that Prius. Embrace them. Let them know what's going on there. We're building new car people. And we all, I said earlier, the kids aren't into cars. Do you know what the kids are into? They're into computers and video games and building cars in video games and modding cars in video games and new cars are no different. I mean, there are companies building lowering kits for your Teslas and lift kits for your Rivians and custom wheels for them. And, but a lot of those, it's software. When we're, we're, we're going to start seeing a whole generation of kids that know how to hack into these systems and modify these cars. And we're going to need these kids to do it because Tesla sure as hell not going to help the owner of a 2013 Model S. They want you to buy another one or scrap that car. You know, Musk, Musk isn't a car guy. Musk is a businessman. But there are people that are passionate enough about their Teslas. There's all kinds of Facebook groups and that, that how to keep these cars running because they want to keep their older cars running. A lot of it's because of that green initiative. You know, we've said that and we insult people all the time as car people. We insult people because you want to be green. You want this environmentally friendly car. You know, we'll say at the consumer level, as Derek says, we're going to forget the politics about how much it costs to produce and, you know, where the all the minerals and stuff come to run this car. To be honest, your gasoline car is just as dirty and costs just as much, except we've now been able to atomize that over the last hundred years of gasoline car protect, uh, pr- production. Once you get a hundred years into electric car protection, production, it won't be nearly as bad. If we get into a hundred years of electric car production, but embrace these people they're that passionate about green. You're that passionate about horsepower. You want to go. It's so hypocritical. I want to go zero to 60. I want to do the quarter mile as fast as I can. I want to do this. I want to do this. Guess what? Your gasoline powered car will never, ever hook up and go as fast to 60 miles an hour as an electric car will. It will never run the quarter mile as fast as an electric car will. You might do the coolest freaking burnout in the world. The electric car could do it. It's just smart enough not to do it and realizes that's just a waste of energy and it will go down the track faster because it uses its computer to know what tires are on it and for it to hook up and get to the finish line. Isn't that what this is all about? performance. Yeah. You can do it and it's cool to watch the smoke and hear the engine and see the fire. But what's your true passion? Yeah, your true passion is to see the smoke, smell the engine, watch the fire. It's not really to get to the finish line quicker because if it was, everybody would be driving Model S plaids or Lucids. Simply put, I mean Yeah, exactly, John. No, th- it's it is it is hypocritical. And and one of the things you touched on there was the young generation that likes to build cars in video games and and maybe they don't own one or maybe they just, you know, they own a, a, just a, a old beater that they can afford. OK, but let's let's pretend that that kid comes to cars and coffee and you're there with whatever car it is that they've built the same car in a video game. They come up to you as the owner of that car, okay? And they're like, oh man, this is the, you know, XYZ, you know, whatever car. I, uh, you know, oh, are you the owner? Yeah, 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 I brought the car. 
oh man, this is so cool. It's, I, I played Gran Turismo, uh, whatever are they at seven now or whatever. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I built this car in the game and, uh, you know, does it, does it really like in the game, the, the way it comes stock, it, it, it does, you know, zero to 60 in this and it, it, it does this now I've modded mine so I can do some other things, but is, is that really like the, the real specs of the car? You have two choices. You have a choice to engage with that kid, that young person, and have that conversation. Or you have the choice to blow them off because all they do is play the car in a video game. Which which path are you going to take? Which path is going to get that young person more interested in the hobby and the enthusiasm of being involved? Whether they're just playing a video game or they actually wind up buying the car someday. The path that is going to lead them to be interested and want to continue doing it is the path where you sit down with them and you have the best freaking conversation of the day about that Nissan GTR or whatever it is that you own that they play in a video game. If you blow them off because they just play video games, guess what? What you just showed them is that car people are a-holes and they don't want to talk. And they're not going to get interested and they're not going to be involved. I don't know where we can end this. I don't know how to wrap this show up because I think we can bitch and come up. We don't need to. We got another hour worth of. No, we've got another hour worth of this, John. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we could bitch about this all day long and talk about this all day long. And again, that's a part of what No Driving Gloves was about. Car guys sitting around talking about cars, debating about cars. I'm really tempted, and Derek doesn't know I'm going to say this. I'm really tempted. We're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up here. But what would be cool is if we go ahead and create a live stream, whether Facebook or YouTube, we'll put it out there. And we're going to sit down one night, and we're going to continue this so we can have live commenter, commenters talking and interjecting with us. Because we can sit here and act like we are the all-knowing automotive gods. We aren't. We should be, but we aren't. We want to hear your opinions. So I don't know if this will take place in the next month. December's really freaking busy for a lot of people. For some reason, there's a lot of holidays. Somebody's birthday's at the end of the month. That's mine on December 28th. You can send presents. You can find those on the Christmas list on the nodrivinggloves.com. And the good thing about that is you don't have to send a Christmas and birthday gift. You just lump it as one, so it's cheaper. No, it, it's more expensive. You need to still spend as much as you would. Just buy me a better present. I'm really into watches. Really would like to get me a, a, a Seiko Turtles, Turtle Stingray, by the way. You can go ahead, email me. I'll, I'll provide you a shipping address. But like I said, because of that big birthday at the end of the month and a few other things, we might not do this till January. But I think we need to hype this. We need to promote this. You need to tell your friends, share this episode with them because we want to have, we want to have the detractors. We want to have the person that posted that article on Facebook this morning that we're not going to, this is what No Driving Gloves is about. I've had a lot of fun doing this episode today. And to be honest, it wasn't what was on the agenda for today. We were supposed to talk hydrogen cars, be nice and peaceful and talk about producing water. But does that sound good to you, Derek, that we're going to come up with some time over the next two months and we're going to figure this out? You know, probably early January, we'll figure out an uh, evening, we'll do a live stream and we'll get everybody on here. And hell, we might invite one or two people to be on the show with us to I love it, John. And the one thing I'm going to wrap up by saying is, as John said, yeah, we've we've complained, we've we've bitched, we've griped, whatever you want to call this. What I want everyone here to do, what I, I'm I'm challenging our listeners, hopefully new listeners that we're gaining, when you're at a show and you're with a car. And if you're one of those people that right now disagree with us and you are against the new stuff and the young generations or whatever it is all we're doing in this episode all we're doing with this conversation is flipping your opinion on its head 
So next time you're complaining about the kid that just drove their uh, new Nissan Z car to the show, stop and flip that conversation in your head. Okay. Instead of griping about that kid coming to the show, think about griping about the other guys you're standing with that are complaining about that kid bringing that car to the show. Try to change your mental approach to that conversation and, and try to think about the conversation we just had on this show. I, I just, I want to challenge people to try that and maybe it'll open up their mind. Very interesting. And this is going to be my closing statement. You said, you know, you were trying to think of a new car and one popped into my head. And this ironically goes back earlier in the show. Is there a Corolla club? I guarantee you there is. Because Toyota just introduced the GR Corolla. Oh, that's right. If you don't know what that is, you're too close-minded of a car person. Yeah, you are. There is, I guarantee you there's a Corolla club now. No offense to you guys earlier. I had forgotten about the GR Corolla until Derek's pause there. Any last things from you, Derek? Go out. Enjoy the hobby. Welcome everyone that's interested in cars and vehicles to the hobby and embrace them. All right. That's all I got to say. I'm going to be very non-green here. Now that we're done, get off your ass, go burn some gas because the John is out. This show was a part of the No Driving Gloves Network, produced and edited by John Viviani of Magic City Podcast, with voice work by Gary Conger. So until the next exit...